Hey, good morning. It's really good to have you here at Fellowship. Uh, we're going to conclude our series in the book of Philippians. We spent 14 weeks going through four chapters in the Bible. And uh, hopefully you brought your Bible, so open them up to Philippians chapter 4. And uh, we have been really getting a glimpse into what it's like to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian. You know, a lot of people use that term, I'm a Christian, without really understanding what that is. And, you know, there's a lot of pictures out in the world that people have towards Christians. Um, I constantly hear from people who don't uh, live by faith. They kind of go, well, Christians are all hypocrites. And uh, there's, there's a bit of truth to that. If we say we're a Christian and we don't live like it, we are hypocrites. We aren't who we say we are. On the other hand, none of us are perfect. Welcome to church. <laughs> none of us are perfect. But we're following someone who is perfect. And it's a hope that as we have spent time in God's word, we really get a vision for who he is and how to follow him. That's what we've been learning over the course of this summer, is to really not just be people who say we are Christians, but to literally be Christians. If if you're here and you've come to investigate who Christ is and what a Christian is, I'm glad you're here. You're in the right place. We've talked about pretty much every area of life over this. That's why why we've entitled this the appraisal of all things. That as we look at it, the Bible presents Jesus Christ as, as the key relationship in each of our lives. We have to have Christ. Without him, we have nothing. And as we appraise everything, nothing compares to the greatness of Christ. That's why we've kind of put everything into the the junk pile here. Everything amounts to nothing compared to Christ. And so we want to be people who live for Christ. That's why Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And in, in that, even the worst moment when this world says, you lose it all when you die, Paul said, no, you get it all when you die because of who Christ is and the promises he's given us of eternal life. And so we're going to continue on this whole concept of who Christ is and what he calls us into uh, as we look at the concept of generosity. Generosity is a huge uh, issue and And we just want you to have the joy of being a joyful giver as we look at the word. And so let's do that. Let's look at uh, Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. We'll read to the end of the book. It says this. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And thus is the end of the book. And uh, as we unpack this, we kind of get a glimpse as to what was happening in Paul's life. Here's what was happening. He was in prison. He was in Rome for having followed Christ. And uh, he was put in chains and uh, put under house arrest. And that church in Philippi that he started all the way back in the book of Acts chapter 16 heard about this and they said, we'll take care of him. You can count on us, Paul, 
to, to advance the gospel through you and we'll send you a financial gift to support your needs during that. So they, they chose a guy in their church named Epaphroditus and he probably was a guy who was decked out and could handle robbers and thieves along the way from Philippi to, to Rome and he brought it to Rome. He got sick along the way, almost die, dies. Paul addresses this and uh, then gives this gift and Paul writes back the whole book of Philippians because they were generous. And he thanks them and, and he calls them into and he, and he just thanks the Lord for them and worships the Lord because of their generosity. The gospel does that. The gospel advances when we are generous. Did you realize that? We are all here because people have been generous to us. A lot of us were born in a family that uh, paid our bills, fed us, brought us things, helped us through college. And we're here because people have been generous. Each one of us, every one of us, loves generous people. But when it comes to us being generous, well, that's another story. (laughs) We don't always like to see that. We like to receive. We don't like to give. And you know what? I've even approached this message with a little bit of fear and trembling. I thought, man, I got to talk about giving. The Word of God talks about giving. Why do I got to talk about this today? Well, it wasn't quite like that, but it was close because I'm wondering, I, I was just thinking, how am I going to do with this? I don't want to mess up because I've been a part of churches that really have talked about giving really poorly. I mean, I was in one of them that went, we're going to lock the doors till we raise this money for this budget. You know, I thought, oh, great. I got to pay to get out of this place today. So, so we'll never do that and we'll never twist arms. We'll never shower you with shame and guilt. And I think the thing that sets me free in talking about this is, number one, you're never given to Joe Hishma. So it's not personal with me. Guys, want to give? Awesome. Look at what God's calling you into. Look at what God's going to do with it. You don't want to give? I'm not going to take it as an offense. The the other hand, um, generosity in my own life has been a progression. And it's been a blessing. It's been one of the greatest things in my family that we can do to worship the Lord. And I've received so much. I'm not talking about material things. I'm just talking my life is richer with things money can't buy because we've become more generous over the years. And um, I just look at what God's doing and I see how God advances the gospel when I and you are generous. And I just go, why can't we talk? I mean, let's talk about this. We talk about everything else here, right? So the church doesn't want to talk about it because we're wimps and we don't want to, we don't want to address an issue that's eating our lunch. I mean, American families are living on 104, 106, 108% of their incomes and we've got credit card bills. The average credit card bill for a typical family in the United States is $12,000. Hello? I mean, it's ripping us to shreds. And the church doesn't want to talk about it. Well, come on. This can be a great blessing. We are pursuing the wrong vision apart from Christ with our finances. And, and the scriptures really address it without apology. And so therefore we need to talk about it. So I want to talk about it where I'm not giving you guilt and shame, but I'm calling you to a vision that I think God has for all of us when we're generous. This vision is outlined in these principles of, of generosity that Paul talks about. The first one is this. It's a principle of partnership. What Paul says Look at what he says. He says, you Philippians, in verse 15, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Folks, there was a partnership that the church in Philippi understood that when they were generous, they gave to God first and then they gave 
to people who were advancing the gospel. And they realized, Paul actually writes, if you flip back in Philippians chapter 1, verse 5, he says, when he's thanking God for them, he says, I thank you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's really calling them into that partnership and celebrating that partnership he has with them. And, and that's because, that's because they really realized that it was all about advancing the gospel in their lives and their generosity advanced it. When they gave to Paul, he was able to advance the gospel. He even actually writes about this church in, in Macedonia, in Philippi, that, that, uh, in the, to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, just flip back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says this. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, they've overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Begging us. Think about that. They begged with him earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but as they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So they saw that fluid relationship of God and his people. They realized their lives were not their own. And that's what God does when we're generous. He invites us into a partnership. Every one of us, when we're generous, God invites us into a partnership with him. There were some key realities, though, that we can't walk away from that are in that passage. They were extremely poor, and yet they were extremely generous. And that's one thing about God. He's never concerned about that number. It's not like he holds everyone accountable for a number to give. He holds, he holds, but he he says, out of their poverty, they gave. They gave with whatever God entrusted to, to them. They didn't give in isolation. They gave in partnership with God and his people. And I found that in my own walk with Christ. When I've distanced myself from the church, when I've distanced myself from the people of God, I tend to spend more on myself. When I connect with the people of God, when I tend to connect with what God's doing through a local church, I give more. That's just what I do. And it's a logical connection. When you jump out of a partnership with the people of God and with God, you tend to just move into isolation with yourself. And the gospel is advanced through generosity. I think about some of these stories just in our own church. Remember several years ago, we thought our church is swamped over there at 17th and Indian Hills. We didn't have enough room to help grow. And we all had people in our lives who we wanted to hear about Christ. And we wanted to reach out to those people and share Christ with them and then connect them to a body of believers and call the church. And we realized we can't grow anymore in this place. So we've had to build a larger place. And I remember our congregation at that time, which right now is like 25% of the people who are here right now, those of you who were part of that group, you said, we, we looked at the angles of generosity and we need to, we need to sacrifice so this church can grow. So for three years, our congregation gave over and above our budget to help fund this building. That's what generosity is. And now, I mean, I was a part of that. And I remember all the things we sacrificed so that we could make room for more people. And many of you are here because people sacrificed to do that. 
And we don't look at everything we've lost. We look at all that we've gained and how God has advanced the gospel because we sacrificed and we were generous. I look at, um, I look at some of the partnerships we have as a church, like with Young Life. Uh, this past week, Young Life came back from camp. I don't know how many of you went, but 50 kids from that Young Life camp trusted Christ with their lives. And we've given thousands of dollars to Young Life, and we've partnered with them over their time here in Topeka. And I just think about what a joy it is that we could be generous with Young Life and help kids who couldn't afford going to camp go to camp so that they could hear about Christ. My son Jack, several of his friends came to Christ at Young Life Camp this week and and are, are now starting to grow in their relationship with Christ. We just go, awesome. What a, wasn't that great to be used? I think about our connection to global missions, and I think about Trash Mountain. When last year at this time, Brett, Deer, Brett um, Durbin was sharing with us the whole picture of uh, caring for this community in a third world country that lives around a trash dump. And they were, they, were, uh, they were showing us pictures of this school that was there educating children and calling, ending the cycle of poverty in their families. And I remember us praying about that and saying, I think we ought to go. And this church, this, this school was about to close their doors and and all of a sudden we started being generous with it and then we connected with other churches and and another church topeka bible church partnered with us as we were generous and we've given thousands of dollars a year later folks a year later because of your generosity there are now 350 kids in that school who are hearing about christ who are being taught and brought up to remedial uh, levels in their in their education, and are being taught English, which in that country, it just guarantees them jobs. We end the cycle of poverty because we're generous. See what happens? And the gospel advances because we're generous. Somehow, I mean, God could do it. He could just rain money down from heaven, okay, and not involve us into this partnership. But for some reason, he takes those who have a heart for him, who love him, who will give and be generous and showers it. I mean, if you could only see, uh, and, and we, we celebrate it all the time, what God is able to do when we are generous, because it's a partnership. 13% of our budget goes totally outside of Fellowship Bible Church into partnerships that we have with places like Young Life and Trash Mountain and other global and, and local partnerships that we have just because we love those stories of the gospel advancing. Now, we've got those great stories of the gospel advancing in those environments, and then we got our own stories. And when you compare them, there's a difference. When I just keep it, and if you haven't been generous and you haven't, you just know those stories. You can never have enough. You can never spend enough to have the fulfillment of your heart that's given when you liberate your life through generosity. So it's a partnership. Secondly, it's a stewardship. And stewardship, whenever we talk about stewardship and whenever the Bible talks about stewardship, it shows the rightful owner of everything we have. And the rightful owner of everything we have is God. We don't own a thing. Everything. There's not anything in the universe that does not have made by God on it. Including you. Everything. God is the source and sustainer of everything. We believe that. Christians believe 
that God owns everything and that he's entrusted some of which he has to us. That's called stewardship. Paul talks about it, receiving a full payment. But look at verse 19. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What's that saying? Everything we have is from him. God is supplying needs. It's a stewardship. God is the owner. We are the managers. God said to Job in Job 41.11, he said, who is first given to me that I should repay him? In other words, do I owe anything to anyone? The answer is rhetorically, no, God doesn't owe us anything, but he's a generous God and he gives us, he gives us everything we need. In Psalm 24, 1, he says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. Put you in that because you dwell in this world. Stewardship then is the proper investment of what God has entrusted to us. That's the key. Now, some of you, God has entrusted six or seven figure incomes. Some of you, if you're in high school or college, that's three figure incomes. And I remember being there. And God doesn't say, hey, you need to give like that guy over there. You need to give that amount. No, he says, whatever I've entrusted you with, that's what you need need to be a steward of. And the Old Testament pattern that transfers also into the New Testament pattern is that pattern of 10%, that we would be generous with 10% of what God has given to us. We're understanding that he's the rightful owner. So some of you have PhDs. And so if you make $20,000 a year, 10% of that would be... $2,000 to the Lord. It's not, I mean, come on, I'm not trying to insult you. It doesn't take much to do that, to understand what God is calling us to do. But we like to play with the figures every once in a while because our lives are many times more important than what God would have for us. And it's eating our lunch. It's killing us. We need to learn generosity because it's stewardship. God is the rightful owner. Our, living in this culture, we can, be, we can believe the whole picture of your money, your things. And, and we miss the point of scripture. It's all of God's. So you're a money manager and so am I. The, the rightful owner, we need to understand that everything we have is a gift from God. We need to invest it for his purposes. So you have partnership, you have stewardship, and then you have this big thing. It's called worship. Look at what Paul breaks out to, moving back to Philippians chapter 4. Paul just kind of overflows in worship in verse 20. He says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's that picture that the end of our generosity and, and in the process of being generous, we would worship God. So what Paul says when he looks at everything in his life in, in Philippians 3, 8, he says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This doesn't, this isn't a picture of you paying your way into heaven. That's never been a picture of the Bible. And when a church or a religion says you can buy your way into heaven, don't believe them. It's a lie from the pit of hell. You don't give so that you can get something from God. He owes you nothing. It's already his. 
But you receive when you give. You receive the joy of a generous life. And you worship him. And worship, as Paul talks about, he said this is in verse 18. It was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. A sacrifice causes you uh, a cost. It costs you something. David said in, in 2 Samuel 24, he said, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Guys, try this one out. You know, take your wife or your girlfriend some really faded, you know, gross looking flowers and just put it and say, hey, I was thinking about you today. And this is what, you know, this is really cool. Hope you have a great day. Let me just, it won't work. Doesn't work. Trust me. Um, <laughs> cause, cause when we give the leftovers, it doesn't really communicate love. And, and those who you love, you give your first and your best to, right? Those you are attracted to, you, they, they get your first and your best. And, and when we give, we give God our first and our best, not our leftovers. And we worship him. We say, God, you're my first and my best. You don't give him leftovers. Because you love him. And if you love him, you'll want to reflect his generous heart. So this is what the principles of, of generosity have been. You join God into partnering with him to advance the gospel. You steward that which he's entrusted to you. And you worship him as you do it. Those three things are great to dedicate your life towards when you think about being generous. But you know what? We can have God's philosophy and we can have ours. And a lot of times our philosophy is winning to the expense of God's. And I've just listed some personal philosophies that are preventing generosity in our lives. And these are ones that I've heard or, just to be honest, that I've used. So here they are. First one is this. I can't afford to give. And I've heard this. And uh, I was in college once too. And I felt I could not afford to give. I thought after I get out of college, after I get my degree and I get my salary, then I'll give because that's when God's interested in me is when I make the big bucks. And the reality is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God calls everybody into this. Everybody. It's never how much you're making. You see, our world kind of classifies you as the have or the have nots on how much material possessions we have. And God doesn't view us that way. God views you of infinite worth, infinite value, that he created you in his image and he gives you dignity just because he loves you and he's created you. He doesn't give you dignity after you get married or after you get a job or after you attain a position in the social strata. No, he loves you. Everyone has value with God. And it's because of that that everyone's significant to us. Rich or poor, middle class, Job or no job, married or not, kids or not. Everyone has value. Our world wants to stratify you. God liberates that. And we can't view ourselves materially. We have to look at ourselves, how God sees us. And that was, those are what the scriptures call us to. The reality in my life, I can't afford not to give. Because I was there in college, and you know what I had a lot of? They first came out, and I'm sorry I'm dated. CDs, compact discs, and I had about 180 of them. That was before iTunes. 
And I could afford those things because I could afford anything I wanted that was important to me. So whatever, wherever you're at, God calls you into generosity. I can't afford not to give. If I stopped giving right now in my life, you know what to do? I'd find a hundred reasons and hundred things and a hundred, hundred objects and gadgets to buy or experience to have for myself. And you know what I'd become? Instead of generous, I'd become selfish. I can't afford that. I can't afford that in my marriage. I can't afford that in my walk with Christ. I can't afford that in my family. I can't afford not to give. And when you're generous, you will see you can't afford not to give. Second one, I'll lose a valuable resource. (laughs) And I kind of laugh at this one because I thought at one time that money was it. And that having a lot gave me all that independence and I could live life on my own terms, which was a goal for me at one time. And I didn't have to live with God. The reality is, folks, it is not the most valuable resource. The most valuable resource is Christ. Christ in you is the greatest thing for your life. And I know of no better investment than giving to God. Thirdly, I won't have enough money for my life. And the answer to that is, of course you won't. None of us will have enough money for our lives. It's like the couple I counseled back. They said, you know, we're we're waiting so we can save up enough money to have children. I said, sorry, not going to work. They are cash hogs. (laughs) Kids are. Kids are. And if you think, oh, I can save enough before then this will be a perfect existence. And we and all the things. No, kids come into your life and they rob you of time and energy and resources. There's no way you're going to reach to a time where you go, yes, I believe we can afford children. You can't. You can't. So wouldn't it be good to learn what generous is like when you have kids or before you have kids? Wouldn't it be good until you... You know, don't wait for 20 years to pursue generosity. You know, we have uh, 42% of our congregation is below 20 years of age. You know, I want to explore with my kids, what's it like if you're generous at 11 and 15 and 16? What's that like to be generous? Because we endow our kids and we endow future generations to receive the blessing of generosity through their lives. Um, I I don't see the benefit in it. I've heard that one. (laughs) I like that one because, you know, there are times when, when as an organization like a church, you can look around and go, I don't see the benefit of this ministry. And I don't see why we're putting money into this because sometimes it's growing and sometimes it's investing and building into people and you're not seeing the harvest yet. But there's other times when it's really rich, like when, when we give to Young Life and 50 kids come to Christ. Wow, that's awesome. I see the benefit in that. Lights, air conditioning in this church. Well, I see the benefit as long as I'm here. You know, we can do that. But even look at your family budget. I look at a big thing. I don't know the benefit all the time of feeding my kids. I don't. They eat like crazy. And uh, I don't see the benefit. You know, we feed them for breakfast. And three hours later, they want lunch. And after lunch, and it would be real easy for me to go, I don't see the benefit, let's just knock out lunch. You know what I'd have at my home if I knocked out lunch? Mayhem. Sometimes we just see, we see with the wrong perspective. You know, there's, there's a process through this. God translates the physical with the spiritual into the spiritual good. 
And then finally, giving is for the rich. If I had more, I'd give more. Well, it's ridiculous to say that. It really is. That would be to say, because this is not what we want from you. This is what we want for you, and we want to be a generous church. We want to be a church that our community, whether or not they trust in Christ, they say, they love me, and they are generous. Because those knock down a ton of walls, especially in Topeka, Kansas. So even if you come here and you don't trust in Christ, you don't believe, we want you to know we love you, and we will be generous in this, in this community and in this world. And I look at it, it, would it be, would it be good for me to say salvation's only for the rich? Wouldn't you just be appalled if I said that? If I started preaching, you need to make a certain amount before God says, come on into heaven. <laughs> Wouldn't that be crazy? Well, we do that when we think I have to be rich so that I can give. And can I just tell you something? The rich give a smaller percentage of their income than the poor. Did you realize that? You may not realize it. I was talking to a guy who made the uh, Major League Baseball. And uh, he played on a team. And uh, before he made the Major Leagues, he committed to giving, to tithing 10% of his income to the Lord. And then he got the contract. And he looked at what 10% would be. He said, wow, that's a lot of money. I don't know if I should do this. And he continued to do it. He continued to tithe. Because he realized God was entrusting him with more. He needed to be a faithful steward with more. So many of us look at what we have and what we have earned rather than what God has given us. And we go, oof, boy, I don't trust God with that one. I don't trust that church with that one. I don't trust this organization with that amount of money. Well, well folks, this, it's not yours. It's not yours. We're all called into it. And so how do we jump into generosity? Well, these are some thoughts that really have, have moved me more towards generosity in my life. And number one is this. Practice that I do is I think about the end and what lasts forever. So many in our world are living for the dot. We live to make this life the greatest experience and have the most things, and he who or she who dies with the most toys wins. I've seen that on bumper stickers. It's a flawed theology because I have yet, and I've done a lot of funerals, I have yet to see a U-Haul at a funeral. You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. So we can't look at God doesn't see you as a dot. He sees you as a line that this life has significant impact on the next. And so we need to live for the line, not the dot. We need to be people who who know what lasts forever. This is what lasts forever. God, his word, and people. Everything else doesn't last forever. So what are we building into? What are we giving to? How am I living? Where am I investing my time and my energy? Secondly, trust. Trust God and steward his resources. It really is the issue of trust on generosity. If I don't trust God, I'm not going to be generous. Remember when we talked about last week, anything that I think I can do a better job of than God, I will not be content in. And I've noticed that in my life when I've not trusted God with things. I've, I've noticed a lack of contentment in those areas. We need to believe that giving is better than receiving. We need to believe that stewardship is my role, not ownership. And then transform the material into the spiritual. 
We do that when we actually give. When we take what God has given us and we give. We're generous with it. Actually give. And then as you do that, here's just an area I have just have been convicted on. I need to trend away from coveting and towards contentment. And I trend away from coveting by, um, by watching where I go and where I'm spending money. By having a budget that tells me this is where it's going. Many of us who are living over our budgets are, are not even wanting to know where our money went. We just realized, whew, made it through another month, you know? Instead of really saying, no, am I coveting things? Am I wanting to define my life in things and be materialistic? Or am I being generous? The physical will always, the spiritual will always be reflected in the physical. And then travel light and advance the gospel. What I call this is just live simply to give generously. You have to do that because in our culture, whatever income you are, our, our marketing gurus have a plan for your money. And that's why we're spending on far more than we make. And that's why it's eating our lunch. It's, it's one of the top two reasons couples are breaking up is because of finances. It's eating our lunch. We need a better, we need a better vision for our finances. And generosity is the biblical cure to dissatisfaction. You know, I found that the more I have, the more it takes to keep those things running, keep them insured, keep them gassed up. And it's, it's easy. The more things we can accumulate, the more things own us rather than we owning things. And we need to be able to take step backs to go, you know what? We could afford that, but no, we're not going to do that. It's just too much. It's, it's traveling too heavy. Now, if you've ever climbed a mountain, you'll know what it's like to carry a heavy backpack. And you know how that weighs you down. And when 10 pounds are taken off that backpack, the trip gets easier, doesn't it? It's the same with advancing the gospel. We climb that mountain of advancing the gospel. We need to travel lightly to do it. Because here's the promise of God that when we're generous, this is what God shows us in this passage, that he promises and he endears ourselves as we partner with him when we're generous. Number one, contentment. There's no uh, lack of purpose on why Paul connected generosity with contentment. Those who are generous are most content. Do you know a generous person? Talk to them. I've never regretted giving to the Lord. I've never, when the offering plate went back, I never, when it got to the road, stopped them and said, stop, I gave way too much. Here, can I just take that out and get some change? I've never done that. There's never been a time when I've gone, whew, boy, was that a waste. Because I'm giving to the Lord. I've never looked back on that. Did I tell you I used to own WorldCom stock? Yeah. Where's that right now? <laughs> I've never regretted anything I've sacrificed for the Lord when it comes to finances. And, and I would say, as God develops a greater heart of generosity to you, you, you won't either. Never. God has always given provision. That's the second thing. He said, out of his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, he'll supply all your need. God supplies needs. 
I had nothing when I went into seminary in Dallas, Texas. And so I had to get a job. And I got a job throwing papers from 2.30 in the morning till 7.30 in the morning. And you know what? God supplied my need. God supplied my need. He provided that job. Now, of course, I had a Hebrew class at 8 o'clock and I, you know, slept in through most of it. But, but God was supplying my need. He provided for me. And those who are generous understand God's provision for their lives. Those who are not generous are always wondering, how can I get more? God, why aren't you doing this? You miss God's provision. And then significance. Significance. When you partner with God to meet needs, here's a church that did that. And guess what they make? They make the Holy Scriptures. They are forever remembered as a generous church. That is significant. You want to make a significant impact in your family? Be generous. And I think about what am I doing with my kids that's showing generosity? The other day I was sitting down, we were watching a movie. And my son, who's an 11-year-old little boy, was eating popcorn. And I came and I said, hey, got some popcorn? And he went, hmm? And he did one of those? Like, I popped this, go get your own. And uh, thousands of thoughts went through my mind. Half of them were positive. <laughs> and I thought, I just went to Sam's and I bought two, you know, 28 packs of popcorn. I own you, kid, on popcorn. So when dad comes and sits down next to you, come on, you bought this, dad, of course. Because dad could go and pop 50 bags if he wanted to right now. I would say, picture, we do that with God when we keep it. So we go, hey, can I, can I use some of your receipts? Hmm? Okay, I'll go to someone else then. God owns it all. But he invites us to partner with him. And that's true significance. When you can be used by the Lord for something greater than yourself. That's all given through generosity. When you're generous with your time, your energy, and your finances. That's, that's what it is. So we want to be a, a generous church. And we can't be a generous church without people giving. There's not a crisis in our church right now. And, and I've resented that when churches go through crises and, and twist arms to, to raise the funds that they need. God has richly supplied our need. But you know what? We need you to be generous. We need each one to move into generosity. And uh, the, the reality is, is we're sporadic in generosity. And uh, I want to encourage you into the pattern of giving. Here at, at the church, whenever we call you into something, we want to make it easy for you. And one of the things we have is giving online. Giving online, you go to our website and uh, just push in fbctopeka.com and go over to that icon where it says give online. And uh, if you're not in the system yet, you just need to sign up for that and register for an account because we don't want just anyone registering for an account. And we'll send you back a login and, and a, a password to start that. And once you get that, you can go right to give online. I do this every month. It just makes it easy for me. And uh, Cheryl and I give online to this and it, it's a recurring uh, 
uh, gift to the church every month. And you can set up either through your checking account or your credit card or, or debit card. And uh, just begin that pattern of disciplining yourself to do that. Because I found that when I'm consumed with my things, I have to discipline myself to start. Because gener- we don't wake up generous. We wake up selfish. I need to discipline my mind and my body and my life in a pattern of starting a practice of generosity. And you know what happens? My heart changes as I do that. So we want to be a generous church. Okay, we talked about generosity and you're all still living. Are you okay? Okay, do you see the vision here? We want to partner with God. We want to steward his resources. We want to worship him. And we can do that with everything he's entrusted to us. We want to be known as, we want to be a church God can count on to advance the gospel through generosity. We can't be generous without giving. So, just as I've called you to everything else in this book, I call you to be generous and to watch God liberate you from the obsession and addiction to things to see your infinite value and the value of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for loving us. Thank you for calling us away from things and not basing our relationship with you on things, but only on Jesus Christ. We believe you. We trust you. We thank you for Christ and the infinite gift of salvation through him. We thank you for being a generous God to us. And we want to be a generous people. So work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, have freedom to really confront us on some issues that we need to turn away from in order to experience your freedom and your truth and to be liberated with the gospel, not constrained by materialism. And we thank you for it. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing this together.